0: And welcome to the Deep Jam of our podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffman, Mr. Boffman Man. How are we?
1: I'm good, Sean. I miss you.
0: <laughs> I miss you too, Dante. Even though we speak weekly and what a perfect segue to what I was actually going to start with the podcast by saying is that, Dante, you and I aren't professional podcasters despite podcasting professionally we also have jobs believe it or not to people who are listening and the downside of not being a professional podcaster is that we record weekly we don't always record when there's brand new. there's news like we did with the draft we did a lot of podcasts around there but we can't just simply grab a mic sit down and record when something big happens because we have lives and other stuff outside of doing the podcast but we planned to do this podcast. We were writing the run sheet of what was going to happen today. We were like, oh, okay. Brandon Ingram hasn't, oh, did he get a player, player, player option on the fifth year? Oh. So like we were looking at that news and then the biggest news in the last week happened, which was the Russell Westbrook for John Wall and a pick trade. And we are here swooping in at perfect time, which was completely not planned, but perfect time to be one of the first people to talk on air about the John Wall Russell Westbrook trade. What a wonderful day for a podcast.
1: What a wonderful day for a podcast. And we didn't even have to do the, you know, pull out the stops that I'm sure people will say of like emergency podcast. No, <laughs> no, we'll just cover it in the regular podcast, regular edition.
0: Yeah. Like, uh, don't rush. Let, let the news come to you. It's like Tillman for Don't tax the luxury, let the luxury tax you.
1: <laughs> I reckon there's going to be more than one Tillman Dirty Fingers for Tidar reference uh, In the discussion of what comes next But, you know, off, off the top Russell Westbrook traded to Washington for John Wall And a top 14 projected 20 first round pick And I'm going to let you kind of kick things off But I just want the first word in saying That this makes me feel dirty
0: yeah. Uh, the first thing I saw when I saw this trade was, hang on, they're giving up a pick for Russell Westbrook. But then I thought, no, they might be giving up a pick to get off John Wall. And Russell Westbrook is seen as neutral value, a neutral value contract in this trade. And then it's after you get past that, it's sort of a challenge trade where it's like, look, this is my poo-poo platter. This is my poo-poo platter. You swap, you say, well, John Wall probably... In the 2020-21 season, he probably has a higher ceiling of being a good basketball player that is good in the modern NBA than Russell Westbrook, simply because we haven't seen John Wall play in two years. And look, I think I'd rather take a guy whose number one skill is his passing as a guy whose number one skill is his running into the rim and not scoring very well. Um, and I, I like this. See, you're going to say that you don't like it for both sides, but I don't hate it for both sides. I think both teams win while both teams also lose.
1: I can't really talk about it in any positive way. So all I can say is I don't like it for either team, but I don't like it less for the Rockets. Okay. Because like you, in a vacuum, like in a vacuum, you know, money's the same. Who do I want? for? the same. well, well you know who, who do I want for the next i I'm team X so who do I want for the next three years Westbrook mm-hmm. or wall I think I would take wall um but uh, I mean it's hard to get excited about this is this is why this is why it's so strange because like if you're Washington right like two weeks ago you you're you're like people are talking about you as like a a frisky team you've got like you know the the dude who was a second leading scorer in the league last season you've got your star point guy coming back healthy you've got a cadre of young kind of like up-and-coming role players who fill different niches you've got the best big man shooter in the league like you're you're feeling good you're selling hope and now it's hard to get excited about a team that's just added Russell Westbrook like I, I mean there's a there's a reason why people were talking about like, you know, before the draft, like a Westbrook Westbrook trade and teams that were potentially interested, didn't want to give up anything like any young assets because they were like, mm, Russell Westbrook being paid $47 million in two years. Like, no thanks. I'm, I'm okay. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't good. It's you're right in saying that it's, you know, it's just trading the poo-poo platter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like pass the parcel, but it's just it's just all bad. So I,
0: I just I just wonder why what happened because we we both talked about how I think it was a couple of weeks ago on the four man wave, how we heard Tommy Shepard, who I think sounds like Channing Tatum from Coach Carter, but we heard Tommy Shepard go onto a um Zach Lowe's podcast and say we're building around Bradley Beal, we're keeping John Moore, we're really excited about what we have. Danny Avdia, bloody blah, um, then the Latvian laser, right? It was all good vibes. And then the reporting was that Raphael Stone and Tommy Shepard spoke before the draft about trading these two guys. They couldn't come to an agreement. And then apparently they they picked up the phone again today and came, came to an agreement within a couple of hours, which like that's, that's fine. I, I don't know if the trade changed at all, but we went through, trade tried to happen. John Raw requested a trade. Tommy Shepard said, no, he didn't. He said, everything's good. We're going to go into the season like this. But then it happened. And I, I don't know, do, how how different do you think the original trade package was to the one that was finalized? And who ended up ponying him up more or less? Like did uh did did Houston pull back on including Ben McLemore or something like that? Or did or was it just straight player for player and then Washington were like, okay, stuff it. Let's just let's just go for one in the hand versus two in the bush, which is what I think this trade is. One in on the hand is Russ Westbrook who has played for the last couple of years, John Wall, who has not. And they want to make the playoffs this year and hopefully appease Bradley Beal uh, <laughs> and try and ask him to stay around.
1: I think that it would have remained relatively unchanged. I don't think that it's the terms of the trade that would have precipitated the trade actually going through because I think it's more likely to be that something did, you know, something did happen um, with John Wall and the Wizards. and and that there was smoke to the the fire there, whether that happened before those reports or after as a reaction, like it was, um, you know, like it was mentioned Uh, because, you know, John Wong notoriously kind of prickly dude, Like I've kind of opined on this podcast before how I don't think he's a very good teammate and I would um, hesitate before like, you know, anointing the, the 2020, 2021 Wizards as like a, you know, a playoff team like led by their returning star. Um, It's not beyond the realm of possibility that considered that he, you know, like might've taken, you know, taken something as a slight or just decided like, nah, like fuck these guys. I want out. And if, if, if the relationship did deteriorate and they wanted to get him out, there's not that many people, you know, not that not that many teams in the league can even make space to take his contract. Mm. So I think the pick being thrown in there is probably just Tommy Shepherd saying, like, "Oh fuck, like things have gone south. We need to get this dude out." And you know, it's not amazing draft capital. Like the best that it can be is you know top is, is the number fifteen pick, which is well, you actually, know not so nothing.
0: After draft. this, it goes top twelve the following year, then top ten, and then top eight, and then unprotected after that.
1: Yeah, so I mean, like Tommy Shepard's not really worrying about an unprotected pick when Bradley Beal is going to be you know, a like, for at least thirty-four or something. Yeah, so uh, it's not not awful, but uh, it it does just kind of like beg the question: what what exactly has gone has gone on? And yeah, I, I mean, like the fit for both of these dudes is just bad. <laughs> um, considering that they're two of the least efficient, not only like jump shooters, but scorers in the league in the last 10 years, I've pulled up, done a bit of research. So neither of them has ever posted an effective field goal percentage above 50. Um, And neither of them have ever shot over 35% from three. Mm. So, You know Westbrook career thirty percent and Wall career thirty two percent and Wall's going into an offense where we've just seen exactly what happens when a ball dominant point guard who can't shoot plays next to James Harden, and the whole conversation for the last two years in Washington, whilst Wall's been out, is wow Bradley Beal was really like coming to his own as an on ball player, and when Wall comes back, we're going to really share like you know share the ball and let them. You know, like work off each other. Well, sick. I mean, like, let me know how Russell Westbrook playing off ball goes in 2020. Like, I feel like I've seen this movie before three times. And I don't know. Fundamentally, like, they're the same kind of player and it may not be that much of a different stylist stylistically because it's not like wall's a good shooter anyway, but I just like, there's something about this that just, it's just like not exciting me <laughs> and not making me think that this is, you know, like this is going to end. Well,
0: you're not excited at boogie playing with John wall again since Kentucky.
1: No, like <laughs> call me when DeMarcus Cousins plays more than 6 games in a row cuz uh, you know I had again like let me let me see that before I get excited yeah, about a yeah, dude who's torn every ligament in his body and hasn't played for three years. Yeah.
0: Now it's, yeah, it's unfortunate about DeMarcus Cousins, but something I want to talk about with this trade is that these guys obviously are both on the supermax extension, whether you thought they deserved it or not. And what we've seen is that the supermax was brought in the designated player veteran extension or some combination of that word. It was brought in so that small markets and markets in general could keep their star players. So, New Orleans could keep Anthony Davis against his will if he likes money and so on and so on. And we've seen it's pretty much pretty much most players that aren't Steph Curry or LeBron uh, have been traded while on this deal because it does seem like there are only a handful of players like Giannis and Steph Curry and LeBron who are actually worth getting paid $40 million plus per season. And one of the rare cases where these teams where these contracts weren't traded for each other is with Phoenix, and Phoenix is a bit of a special situation because they had the cap space to absorb part of chris paul's um, Chris Paul's extension. but other than that, you saw Chris Paul traded for Russell Westbrook we've just seen Russell Westbrook again traded for John Wall. It might be something to do with this. Um, And it's like, is this like the Supermax, it gets signed. People say this is completely untradable, but these were probably the two most untradable contracts. Some even thought that the Chris Paul deal was going to be super, super untradable. And they're like, well, Daryl Morey is not going to be there three years from now. And he wasn't, but that deal got traded once with Daryl Morey. And then now again to Phoenix when it wasn't Daryl Morey. So like the Supermax Mm -hmm. is was made to keep stars in markets and keep Ross Westbrook in OKC. But really, like, it, it hasn't done that. It's just made them harder to trade. And in turn, they're just getting traded for a poo-poo platter as opposed to if they were on $25 million a year or something lower. They could maybe get played traded for, like, well, use that example of Oubre and, like, you know, enter prospect name who's getting paid $5 million. Yeah, well,
1: I mean, I think... I think that one of the biggest criticisms of the supermax and the way that it's actually panned out is exactly what you say in that the discussion around them is immediately after they're signed, they're untradeable. And, you know, that like for the most part, when you see kind of like trades like this, you know, I think the Phoenix one is, is the exception of a team, like kind of with big cap space sending out what we sent out, Oubre, which is roughly 15 million and then absorbing the rest the the market for these players, as soon as they're signed, shrinks to like, you know, 15 guys. And, you know, like even even in situations where a team uses the, the supermax on a player, you know, who stays, you're a small market team and you're not a free agent destination anyway. And you have to, um, you know, maybe... Conventional wisdom says you have to shell out a little bit extra on those contracts. You know the Harrison Barnes rule with the Kings; like he's not worth it, but you pay him that little bit extra just to get him to stay. If you've got, if you do everything right and you draft a young player, you give him the supermax, and you still have to pay Harrison Barnes four million extra a year. You know you're, cap, you're capped out. You're in cap hell because these contracts, when they're signed, too much money. Mm. These these contracts when they're when they're signed, it's just it's too much money, and the list of people who, who who are actually worth them is probably like ten players, you know. And for what it's worth, when Russell Westbrook signed this two years ago, he was two years removed from an MVP season, and um, you know it's obviously in hindsight um not not worked out super well with three teams in in three years and the wall contract people were like well you know you're damned if you do damned if you don't because you either let him you let him go and like i mentioned before prickly character and probably not going to take it super well if you're if you're like hey we know you're eligible for this extension but we don't really think you're worth 45 million dollars so we're going to offer you 35 he's not signing that contract um and then, you know, then he leaves and you've done everything right, taking a, you know, five time All Star with the number one pick and it's still, you know, still doesn't work out for you. So I think when the next CBA comes around, there'll be a serious discussion about the supermax and, and you know, like the incentives that it offers, um, versus the incentives it offers for players to stay versus the fuckery that it weaves on, you know, like multiple teams books for Years after, yeah.
0: Does this not? Does this trade just to finish it up? Does this trade have the same vibes as a potential Blake Griffin for Kevin Love trade?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's like this <laughs> is like the talk about. this is the big brother, but like that is you know, I'm sad. I'm I'm sad, and I feel unclean talking about this trade. But the Blake Griffin for Kevin Love trade is just like that is <laughs> that is.
0: Stiff, which, which doesn't is, exist, which uh, I'm just saying that in case the aggregators are hot in
1: our trails, but yeah, it is. Um, I just want to be, I just want to be clear, aggregators, I just want to be clear, <laughs> we're not reporting this, we're not reporting this.
0: Uh, the old deep two, you know, you guys have lost your, you've lost your nuts, you've lost the, the thing that makes you go, guys, you, you've got an unsubscribe for me.
1: <laughs> oh, well, thanks, listener. All right, let's move on. Let's All right, move let's, let's
0: move on to the next piece of news, which comes from Jovan Buha of The Athletic, which is the Clippers writer for The Athletic. And he brought out a, what, 4,000 word report, 4,000 word article about the the chemistry in the Los Angeles Clippers locker room. And he was talking a lot about how the core of the team, and the core of the team being mostly the guys that won the season prior, so that's, um, and when they made the eighth seed. That was uh, Patrick Beverley, Lou Williams, Montrose Harrell. These guys saying that they didn't like the fact that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were getting uh, preferential treatment. And then the article wasn't just bashing them for that. The article also talked about how Tyron is coming in. Tyrone Lue also came into a similar situation where people were sort of saying LeBron gets preferential treatment um, with when David Blatt was the coach. And there was a bit of sort of, let's say, bad vibes there. Um, and it was talking about how Tyron Lou is going to come in. He's going to do things that Doc Rivers didn't do. And this article also came out, what was it? Hours before, um, Paul George went on the old man and the th- no not old man of the three, it's the no smoke podcast, you know, Steven Jackson's podcast. Um, I don't know if you saw the video of that, but he's sitting up there with an all orange, all bright orange track suit, which looked. Pretty cool. I wouldn't be able to pull it off, but he was pretty much saying that during that Clippers uh, Clippers versus Nuggets series, they were down three, sorry, they were up 3-1 and they were playing the game. They lost the game. They went back in the next time. They lost the game. And then he said after each game that they lost, they didn't actually talk about it. The team didn't talk about it. Doc Rivers didn't bring it up and they didn't actually make any adjustments. And they would go in, they would do the exact same game plan. No one cared. No one spoke up. And then eventually when it got to game seven, it was Marcus Morris Senior, <laughs> not junior, who spoke up and said, hey, guys, can we, can we do this? And he sort of tried to rally the team. And that sort of made cracks in the chemistry of the team with um, guys like Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell saying, hey, uh, uh, we don't really appreciate that you're speaking up to us and trying to fire us up when A, you're not the leader, when their leader is someone like Kawhi Leonard who is a bit of a beta personality while well, alpha on the court. Um, and you also haven't been around here too long since you got traded from New York in the mid-season at the trade deadline. So can Tyler fix all of this, Dante? Uh,
1: not easily because <laughs> <clears throat> the problem with it being us and them is that there's the us is two people and the them is literally the rest of the roster, most of whom still there. So there's been noise about uh, exploring a Lou Williams trade and Montrez Harrell's already out the door across the Staples Centre to the Lakers. If Lou Williams goes, that's the crux of your bench from last year, which was the best bench in the league. And with notable injury risks, Kawhi and PG, the reason why the Clippers were able to have such a successful regular season was because even though Kawhi didn't even play three quarters of the games, like you could rely on Lou Will to go out and get you 22 and six and Montrez to get you twenty and ten on a random night against the Grizzlies. So moving those guys, even if you get good value for Lou Will, it's not exactly the same type of player who kind of like makes that engine go with the second unit. So I think they're going to be worse. And in terms of the legitimacy of, you know, like it being Kawhi and and PJ, I just wanted to kind of point out, like, imagine you're Kawhi and it's like, it's us and them and then you look around and the us is just like it's it's Paul George you know he's not exactly a guy that you're like i'm going to go to war with Paul George and i understand why it rankles the you know his his teammates cuz cuz you know like obviously he's a a great player but he was awful in the playoffs last year like there's no bones about that like he was really bad he's averaging 20 points on 17 shots shooting you know less than 40 percent from the field um you know like not the production that you need from your second best player and your yeah. second most highly paid player and so for him to then come into the locker room and you know like immediately after it was like like guys were like running it back you know like he's doing like an impassioned speech like let's run it back it's like well Maybe people don't want to do that, and yes, you can talk about Doc Rivers making not making adjustments because obviously, like Doc Rivers has the most three-one um, series leads conceded in NBA history, so that's definitely a problem. But an adjustment that Paul George could have made would be hit a shot. Um, so you know, like I I find it a bit rich for him to be kind of like up there you know, like orange tracksuit and like, man, we just didn't make adjustments and like I, I didn't see the video but did anyone. Yeah say man, we like, wear
0: a grey tracksuit. Don't have the audacity to wear orange and then just this No, way. no,
1: but you know <laughs> like did anyone say like I'll read you your stats?
0: yeah yeah you know <laughs> like
1: like, like, like yeah, you're probably you not going to, to get a guest or... again
0: if you if you ask me to read their stats just like what you were saying if um if gina Mazel can get Damian jones to come on the podcast like if you play the <laughs> old bits of me saying catch the ball man then yeah, yeah. he's probably not coming on
1: <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah like fair enough like i i don't mean it to kind of come across as like pg slander, up but it's just like I can't think of a team where, in recent memory at least, where it's like the dude at the top of the hierarchy is so obviously like not a leader Um, in the traditional sense of the word where, you know, expressing accountability and being vocal so someone, you know, the second best player on the team tries to, like, step into that role, but is so yeah. obviously ill-suited for it. Like, it, it, it so obviously doesn't carry weight with his teammates.
0: Yeah, and so, why just building on top of that, in San Antonio, he obviously had pretty much everyone in that locker room. In um, in Toronto, he had Cole Larry, who's known as a good leader as well. So there's, there's no one there who can fill that spot. There's no calm head. There's no Boris Diao and there's no Cole Larry there.
1: No, exactly. You're looking at that's why you're looking at Marcus Marcus Morris or Patrick Beverly, and it's like, well, yeah, like you, you love a bit of tenacity from those guys on the court, but like goons, I'm,
0: goons aren't known for their tenacity. Uh, in terms, of... sorry, goons aren't known for their patience.
1: Yeah, you know, that's like it, it just, mantra. you know, like maybe that was the one thing that all the Clippers commentary last season, including from us, overlooked is just like the composition of personalities on the team as much as. Um, as much as um, skill level. And I think the distinction between the Cavs team and, the, and this Clippers team with respect to Tyron Lue is that the, the Cavs team in 2016 wasn't us versus them. It was LeBron versus Kevin Love. And <laughs> he came in, sorted it out between those two dudes, figured out a way to kind of like utilize like the, the old Miami trick with Chris Bosh where it's like the first half, the first quarter, they just run the offense through him, Mm -hmm. get him involved in the game, help him get some numbers. And they went on to win a, you know, a a championship. This is, I think maybe more divided, like a, a more divided locker room because it's two guys versus the rest of the team. One of the, you know, like the rest of the team has, already moved on voluntarily. There's rumors about his best buddy on the team being moved on. Um, you know, like there's, yeah. it just seems like there's a powder keg and I, I, I'm not ready to anoint Tyron Liu as like the superstar whisperer. And he's going to come in and diffuse the situation. Cause the, the evidence for that, that he, he did do a good job, you know, four years ago, it was in a situation that's different. So Yeah, yeah. Um, If you told me the Clippers win the chip next year, I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me that the Clippers had, like, you know, a similar kind of playoff combustion this season and um, Kawhi and PG both declined their third year options and, and went separate ways, I wouldn't be surprised.
0: Yeah, look, Dante. We're going to do our preseason predictions next week um, with over/unders and whatnot, and I'm going to pick the Clippers to win the whole thing. Uh, I think they if if they were a stock, they would be incredibly low right now, and everyone would be would be buying them up because. Yes, there are some non-basketball factors that make them not good and they might still be there. But in terms of basketball talent, I picked them to win last year and I'm going to pick them again next year. But to be fair, I think I've picked Kawhi to win MVP for like the last three seasons. So what do I know? I've, I've, I've gone with Kawhi too much.
1: You just can't shake that Evita Zubac itch that you've got. <laughs>
0: Yeah. All right. Well, should we move on to the next piece of news, which is something I thought should be higher, but let the record show that Dante doesn't care about Andrew Bogut and the, one of the best Australian basketballers. <laughs> but uh, on Andrew Bogut's own The Rogue Bogues podcast, he has announced that he was retiring from basketball. And this is not just NBA, NBL. He says he would not be playing in the Tokyo 2021 Olympics. So there we are. Someone's keeping a tally of how shit coronavirus is you can probably add that Andrew Bogut was probably going to play in his last Olympics and play his last basketball game in the bronze medal game against Spain again, this Olympics, but he is obviously, that obviously didn't go ahead and the Tokyo Olympics did not go ahead in 2020, but I, yeah, I'd just like to say it's been great watching Andrew Bogut play basketball. He was obviously the starting center on the team that I first started going for and still go for now. And, he the end of his career wasn't as good as what the start of his career was and obviously he he had a pretty crap start to his career breaking his arm in just a horrible spot and then obviously being injury riddled since then but he's just a great solid capable starting center and in those early playoff runs especially the ones with mark jackson who he refers to as the caterpillar because Mark Jackson, after he got fired, so after he got yeah, he got fired. i um, he said that he was the caterpillar to which spurned the butterfly of Steve Kerr to make the team go along. But Andrew Berger mm. did not like Mark Jackson at all, and he says not all caterpillars will sprout. Um, so he just kept on referring to him as the caterpillar. Five years later, even after he had had those stints all around the world and went back to the Sydney Kings in the NBL, and then got re-signed by Golden State in the last little final run, final final run with Kevin Durant and the team. But he was he was one of the best defensive centres in the league, um, and he was part of the reason why Draymond Green was able to like grow into the Draymond Green that he is because he didn't start off being the starting centre on the on the death line. He started off as the power forward. And Andrew Bogut's ability to just defend the fuck out of the ring, let Draymond go for those sneaky steals and go for those runaways. And then he would get running and then he's got the two splash brothers on either side and Draymond was able to make the right pass because that's what he does. And that was all because there was this massive seven-foot Australian bloke underneath the defensive ring who wasn't running back on offense because he really did that. And that's something I'll also always, it's like, he's dead. He's not dead. Something I'll always remember about Andrew Bogart is the fact that you would get on these fast breaks and Steph Curry would go for a run. But if the other team was really, really good in transition, they would actually stop that run. And then sometimes Andrew Bogart would still be waiting on defense because his legs were just made of glass. And as the ball is up and Steph's like, okay, look, I'm going to have to hold the ball for a couple of seconds because we don't have anything on here. He would look back and Andrew Barrett gets still underneath the ring because he couldn't be bothered running backwards um, because he thought, well, what am I going to run for? I'm just going to get more tired and I'm an injury risk. Um, and I love that. It just reminds you of of Coburg or Broadmeadows basketball. Like we all know a big center who's probably a little bit chunky who doesn't run back on offense. Um and he, he did it. He made it all the way to the NBA and he was one of the best centers to do it. And he won a championship and he very so much deserved it.
1: That was a beautiful soliloquy about Andrew Bogut. Veil Bogut. I got a little bit, you know, so we, we mentioned it at the top of this discussion that the news broke on Bogut's own podcast, the Rogue Bogues podcast side. Yeah, you know, a bit curious. Did a little bit of research about it. It's got two episodes. One of which is uh, called Intro, and then the, and I just love this. The second episode is where he, you, you know, reveals the um, announces his retirement. Announces his retirement, and it's in the episode is entitled in all caps: Emergency Pod, Breaking News about where I'll <laughs> be playing basketball in the coming year. Which two things? A great you know like clickbaity like make the pitch and then bring them in and also emergency pod as the second episode and also like like is it not like is it an emergency and people people like am i gonna tune into my podcast feed and you know next to the john wall russell westbrook emergency pod episode from the ringer nba show there's like andrew (laughs) Burke diets
0: well, I wanted to situations. put this higher up in our ranking, but you said no, we have to talk about John Wall and Russell Westbrook first. <laughs> <laughs> Two non champions.
1: Um, I'll, um, I'll give you a picnic if you can tell me where he went to college, Andrew Burger,
0: Utah. Nailed it. Yeah, fucking picnic me up, baby. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, with the Rogue Vogue's podcast, that's also something that I heard a couple of the Warriors guys talking about because they're very interested to see what he does with it because he said that he wants to talk about politics, he wants to talk about life, he wants to talk about everything and not everything to do with basketball. He wants and, to talk about
1: Pizzagate, you mean?
0: Yeah, well, he's a bit, yeah, he's, he, I don't want to say the word loopy. Um, he's, but he,
1: well, he's rogue is what he is yeah he's not afraid
0: to offend people and look that that's that is a style that has worked in podcast past i don't know if he's going to be the next uh what's that dude that um yuppies listen to joe rogan i don't know if he's going to be like the aussie joe rogan but he look it'll be cool i could see him going on joe rogan's podcast and seeing some shit happen there um and i I could definitely see it'll be like the 2024 u.s election and andre godal will come on he's always wearing those like slack shorts and a, a golf polo um, and they would just be talking about the election and uh, I don't know, I just, I just imagined that happening. And then Harrison Barnes come on. Now, I, Harrison Barnes actually said a really, a really nice little message to Andrew Bogut after he announced his retirement saying that Andrew was one of the first guys to really like take him under his wing as a rookie and really taught him how to be professional and just so on and so on and yeah. He's had an, he's had an impact and he also knocked down a lot of people with his extremely illegal screens. And I, I just have a fascination with people at the highest form and the lowest form of basketball who can get away with illegal screens because that was my bread and butter and literally bread and butter as in the only thing I could ever do when I played domestic at Broadmeadows. Then I moved to Coburg and I have not gotten away with a single moving screen. So I kudos to Andrew Bogut for getting away with it
1: in the NBA. I love similarities between you and professional basketball <laughs> players. It's my favorite. My favorite thing. Last thing on, on Bergett before we move on. Famously in a, a long-running beef with Opals star Liz Cambage. About what? Um, she, she tweeted something about Black Lives Matter a few years ago and he tweeted something back being like, Bro, like Black Lives Matter is not relevant in Australia. Like that's so fucking stupid. And then she was like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> Liz Cambridge also famously outspoken and not the sort of person to uh, take uh, social criticism from Andrew Berger lying down. So I think that's where the the feud comes from. Just for the well, record, actually, I'm I'm just, hashtag Team Liz.
0: <laughs> can I add one more thing? When Clay Thompson broke up with his girlfriend before he broke out as an NBA superstar. Um, who was an Instagram model? Uh, like he, it must have been a bad breakup or something. And then all the Warriors guys were tweeting about it and talking about it. And then Andrew Bogart tweeted like a good thirty-plus year old would, where he was like, "If my daughter ever grows up to be an Instagram model, dot dot dot, epic fail!" All in capitals. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, this is like if not even if my dad's got Instagram, just like not even if my dad's got Facebook, Twitter, it's like oh, just." Just a nice little gem of the wrong side of thirty. Um, not a boomer, but not a young person. Uh, I'm sure there's a
1: generation there we could lump them all in. I hope for um, Andrew Bogut's daughter sake that. Whatever she chooses to do, she grows up happy and fulfilled with her career. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's so much time on Andrew <laughs> Bogut. So can we please Perfect. talk about? Can we please talk about something else? <laughs>
0: Tobacco companies aren't allowed to advertise anywhere in Australia and a number of other countries. Even if you haven't seen Mad Men yet, you understand why. It's obvious. But it wasn't always this way. Tobacco advertising used to flood Australian sport until the late 1980s. Something that was completely normalized then now seems unfathomable today. Australians lose over $1.2 billion annually by gambling on sport. And it may seem harmless to put a multi on if you think you've got an edge, but what's harmful is the growing normalization of sports gambling and the massive increase in the risk of addiction. What's worse is that these companies are raking in your money, throwing it back into advertising, and even targeting children, the next generation of gamblers in their eyes.
1: The gambling industry spends millions on advertising every year to make it look exciting and risk-free often placing their ads in places where they know kids and teenagers will see them the most. Next time you're watching any sport, basketball, footy, tennis, cricket, or anything else, try and see how long you can go without seeing an ad for betting. Now imagine you're a kid watching the game. There's no way to avoid it.
0: A 12-year-old in Australia today has never even seen a professional sports game without gambling advertisements. The answer isn't to ban sports gambling, but there needs to be a change in the way it's advertised. Follow the link in this episode's description or type in endgamblingads.org.au forward slash petition to sign the petition to remove gambling ads from the sports we love and go back to enjoying it without any money on it. (laughs) All right, let's move on to Kemba Walker. This was announced, obviously, uh, we're at Media Day. Media Day is, did you know that players are coming in in tears? So there's tears of players coming in to train and talk
1: to the media. Who hurt those players?
0: Huh?
1: Who hurt their players if they're coming in in tears?
0: <laughs> oh, shut up, man. <laughs> um, I don't That was a good one. Um, yeah, so Kemba Walker, it was announced from Celtics PR that he received a injection in his knee and he will be out to January. This is going off the January with basketball starting in December 22nd. But I just want to say that he hasn't played basketball since the bubble, since the Eastern Conference Finals, which was, how long ago was that? Like three months? Yeah, ballpark. Yeah, ballpark. Um, so he hasn't played basketball since then, and he still can't play until midway through, or not midway, but a part way th- into the season. I would like to just put a tab on this and say that he's a small guy who's on the wrong side of 30. We know what happens to them. And if he's out any longer than January and the Celtics are trying to like keep good hopes together, um a that's going to be a lot of pressure on jeff teague now that brad watermaker has gone to golden state and is campbell walker is this the start of the decline for the small guard who is extremely explosive i could be ringing alarm bells that don't need ringing but i'm just saying this is not a great sign
1: i don't think you're ringing alarm bells that don't need ringing considering that we literally saw this with a diminutive Boston Celtics point guard, like three years ago, in Isaiah <laughs> Thomas, who, you know, like, like Kembo is actually just an, an insane athlete. And, um, when these little dudes start to like have these injuries that like, keep them out again and again and again, and it saps their athleticism. Like, um, like, Kemba has never been an above average finisher at the rim, but guess what if he if he can't jump well he's he's not finishing anything at the rim and yeah. that that limits you massively as a player um just in terms of your ability to compensate and he's a good he's a good shooter he's he's a you know a, a decent threat from three uh, I think he shot like thirty seven or thirty eight on a decent amount of attempts last season, so that's not gonna completely. His you know his offensive potency isn't going to completely disappear, but we've seen it with with older dudes before that when you start getting these injuries that stack up on them, it, it can really mess with your your you know your play when you're available, and that's even if you're available. So mm. that you know hurts losing Hayward because you know Hayward can play de facto kind of point forward for you if you need to. Like Hayward's a a, a guy who in a pinch you can turn to and say like, all right, like you kind of run the offense and you know, I, I don't think a lot of that's going to go on Jeff Teague. I think they're going to try and run it with Marcus Smart and we might see a bit more of like point Tatum.
0: Yeah, hopefully. Um, but it's not that the guy know, yeah, I don't, 20 million plus isn't going to be playing. Yeah, basketball.
1: I mean, I don't think that Marcus Smart and point Tatum as your kind of like de facto number one ball is is a good thing. Um, Whatsoever, and yeah, like Kemba's locked in on th- what is it three more years at twenty plus, yeah,
0: twenty
1: five. Yeah. So that you know, like you lose Hayward, Kemba's on big money. But if he can't go, then all of a sudden it's like that. That is a
0: a hard, you know, like a,
1: a shallow team. You know, like is is Hayward Brown smart, and then a bunch of rookie contract players and role players. Is that you know, like is that a top four seed in the East?
0: You know, uh, the east as much as i do
1: <laughs> no no but you know like the, you know at least before the season starts yeah the east know, is different this year maybe we'll get to january in the east we're the east but this year you know like you run down the list and there's 17 to you'd say barring injury are guaranteed playoff teams yeah um and guaranteed teams with winning records which obviously in the past that you know like the orlando magic have had a couple of those in recent years with the old like 39 and 43, um, you know, like eight seed. Yeah. So, I don't think that that will be the case this year. And it's a bad year to lose your what your fourth best player for nothing, and your third best player, and massive cup hold. You know that might not mm-hmm. be able to go because talking about he's out till January, so I missed the first month of the season. But if he takes six weeks to warm up, then, you know, you're, halfway you're already, you're halfway through the year and, and in a shortened season, you you might not have time to catch up again. And, you know, the top of the ace looking as dangerous as it does, like if, you know, like if you, if you draw like a rejuvenated Milwaukee in your bracket or like the hitting on all cylinders, Brooklyn Nets or whatever, it could be trouble for a team that really has you know, looking at at the end of last season, like really have, would have no business not competing for a top four spot and possibly even being, you know, like the the favorite to you know kind of like take a step forward into second or third. So uh, it's definitely worth tabbing this and 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 having a look, um, you know, keeping an eye on it because it, it could be the sort of thing that really. Um, maybe not derails the season, but drastically reduces their on um, their ceiling. year.
0: All right. Well, let's move on to the next piece of news, which is from Eric Woodyard of ESPN, which says that Victor Oladipo is denying, wanting a trade from the Pacers. Uh, and this is coming after, how would you describe groups of smoke bundles or a parliament of smoke? Uh, Cause where there's, oh, smoke, <laughs> where there's smoke, there's fire. And there were a heap of reports coming from multiple different places saying that he wanted out. Um, there was even a funny one that said that during the NBA bubble, he would walk over to other pl- other teams on different courts and ask if he can play with them and essentially ask for a trade while in like the, the Orlando bubble. Um, and I just think that this is a very, it's just your classic guy wanted to get traded. Sometimes it's not as outward as it is with other guys, but he's now come to media day. He's gone, oh shit, there is no trade market for me. Didn't help that I didn't play much last season. And when I did, I was slightly injured and didn't play well. Um, so he's sort of taking his medicine and saying, well, look, I, I need to I need to play before I can actually get traded. So you don't want to start the season on a bad note. So here we are, Victor Oladipo. You made your bed and now sleep in it.
1: There is a... I wish that I could credit it. I, I Unfortunately, I can't find it. There was an absolute takedown of... Oladipo in the Athletic by the Pacers beat Rider that works for the Athletic a few weeks ago, which was basically like the, the gist of it was like, yeah, I fucking hate Victor Oladipo and here's why. And it was pretty much like a character assassination on, on him doing, you know, the, the sorts of things that you mentioned, like kind of openly asking for a trade and like, you know, kicking up enough, um, you know, like, you know, keeping the, enough keeping the, the oven on. Keeping the oven on all the time, the wood fired oven. So there's that much smoke. Like there's got to be fire somewhere basically trying to force his way out. And yeah, he realized that no one wanted him because he was, you know, pretty much hadn't played in 18 months. And when he did play, he looked awful, had no trade value. And he kind of comes slinking back and said shit. Like I never wanted a trade. And like, I love the city. I'm here for forever. And the, the, the beat writer was basically like everyone in Indiana feels hurt because we were like, this dude's from Indiana. He went to Indiana university. He's like ended up here and like the city just welcomed him. He's played the best basketball of his career. here. we've like built, you know, like a reasonable contender around him. And then he's kind of just like flaunting how much he wants out. Like, you know, they were kind of like, we, you know, like we opened <laughs> out our hearts up to you, Victor Oladipo and you trod on it. And you know, you can go to hell for that. So it's interesting. It'd be interesting to see if he um gets a trade. But there's never really been any like uh, maybe I've maybe I've missed it. Like what what is so wrong in in, in Indiana, Indiana that he's like getting well, me out of here? Like no, they've I think, they've I got
0: it's more. Would you rather be in Miami if Miami can sign him or trade for him? Would you rather be in Miami and have a chance at getting uh, Giannis as well? Or would you rather be in Indiana? pass from Malcolm Brogdon to DeMontis Sabonis, which is fine and it's very good and it's very basketball hipster, but you're probably not going to win a championship. But you did also get those really cool new blue pinstripe jerseys. So he, maybe, maybe that's why he said he wanted to stay here now after he saw the new alternate jerseys.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's naive of us to say, like, come back to your hometown team and they build a team around you. And, um, you know, maybe, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of different. <laughs> If, like, Giannis is, like, I want out. Want to play for Hellas. Because Giannis is... (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) give me the Hellas. Because Giannis, you know, two-time MVP, DPOY, and almost made the finals. Like, was a couple of games away from making the finals. Giannis has kind of, like, put his money where his mouth is. Yeah. And now that Oladipo has a good team around him, because, you know, like, for, for everything that I've just said about the East being better this year, if your team is, like... Old Depot with Brogdon and Warren and Sabonis, who was an all-star last year, and Turner and, like, you know, two of the holidays and then some role players. There's no reason why that team can't, you know, be in that same tier as as Boston and Toronto, like, as, like, the yeah, kind of, the like,
0: second, the, second, the second
1: tier. There's no reason why that with a healthy Old Depot. So you uh, maybe it's too purist or, or it's naive of me to say, like, make a run to the conference finals with this team before you're like, I want out. Yeah. You know, rather than like, if you really want to go to Miami, like fair enough power to you, but you're kind of like, just like dipping rather than doing the hard work in a way. That's um, easy for me to say <laughs> in, my, in my, my study, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean. And also it's guys. It's hard to feel sorry for you
1: him. You got it. feel guys. sympathy for him.
0: Guys who do ask for trades have proven that because they are a, like a top level player. Um, Oladipo isn't in that. You know, not even the Steph Curry, LeBron level. He's not even in that Jimmy Butler, Bradley Beal level.
1: He, he he's had one. He's had one good and healthy season out of this. Is this would be his eighth. So. Yeah, he's someone who he's still reasonably young, and he's the exact type of player that like a lot of teams would really want. And that one season where he was a gun, he was all NBA, all defensive, like, and so deserving of it. But it's, you know, like, it, it kind of like smacks of like, um, yeah, I want to choose my words carefully here because I don't <laughs> want it to be too much of a takedown, although that's probably the momentary aggregated. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to get aggregated. Oh my God! <laughs> All right, um, let's just
0: let's just move on before you stick your foot in it. Yeah, because we're going to be hearing a lot more about Ola Depot in the future. I believe whether it's at the deadline or next off season. Cool. All right. Well, um, LeBron James and Los Angeles Lakers have agreed to a two-year $85 million extension coming from Shams Trani of The Athletic. It's crazy that what what numbers this is, like, the seventh dot point or the yeah seventh dot point on our sheet, and uh, it's literally – the greatest player of all time signing an extension. Yes, he is 36 years old. Um, and Brian Winhorst of ESPN said that this extension is LeBron, quote, admitting some mortality, unquote. Brian Winhorst, of course, an expert on mortality himself. Um, and this will also align LeBron to for his contract to expire as soon as his son Bronny is draft eligible if he so chooses to come to the NBA um, and if the one-and-done rule has been eliminated, which if you think back to two years ago when we first started recording, um, the we were hoping that the one-and-done rule would be gone by this draft, but whatever. Um, yeah, so LeBron signed extension in the Lakers for a couple more years, which is wonderful.
1: I don't get the wind horse joke. Uh, he's... He's just a very uh, rotund figure. Yeah, he's, he's got a robust figure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get you. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's valid that it's buried down here underneath the Kemba and the Oladipo chat, which, you know, I know is what everyone's like, you know, lusting after. I see you, thirsty Boston Celtics fans. Um, this, I think this is notable because it's the first time that in, in forever that he hasn't negotiated something with an option in it. Right. Yeah. Where he's got a player option at the end where he just opts out the cap goes up and then he's like, yeah, all right, well I'm going to resign for another one plus one at more money. He's just saying like, yeah, lock me in. And I think that's a, you know, um, we all knew he was coming back, but maybe that like security is one of two things, possibly both. It's him kind of like looking forward and saying like, maybe, maybe that's like a, like a, a timeline. Um, and it's him also saying guaranteed to his team like I'm here for this amount of time minimum, like build around me, don't like have one eye in the future, like you know, how how the Cavs were in twenty eighteen where they were kind of like, is this guy staying or is this guy going? Do we bring in like a veteran role player or do we like try and like keep one foot in the, you know, in the rebuilding pathway? He's just saying like I'm here until twenty twenty three and let's, you know, like go for it yeah um yeah it would be cool to see him play with his son that'd be fucking wild that would literally be insane
0: yeah. um that'd be some robot shit
1: yeah but i mean yeah <laughs> you just kind of you just kind of wonder like obviously it's too early to say if if Bronny's good or not like if he's kind of like you know nba nba it, good, it would suck but, if
0: he's not good but yeah
1: it's like if he was like the LiAngelo Ball kind of vibe, where it's like, well, we could sign you just for like the shits and gigs, but we'd literally be wasting a roster spot on, on you because you're not that good.
0: Well, LiAngelo Ball is something, someone who we're not going to talk about, but he signed with Detroit for the minimum. So now all the Ball kids are in the NBA. Troy. Weaver, all the Ball kids are
1: in the NBA, but that's not a, it's not a guaranteed contract, is it?
0: No, it's not. Uh, Troy is so, used to
1: amaze. All the Ball kids are in the NBA for the next two weeks. Three and a half weeks, yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's, <laughs> and let's then all move.
1: the ball kids will be in the NBA or back with the OKC Blue of the <laughs> NBA G League. Anyway, moving on.
0: Uh, all right. So the next the next big piece of news, again, something that probably shouldn't be buried if it wasn't as old as it is. But Giannis, still in Greece, um, was speaking with Arias Barkas from eurohoops.net. Um, this is a place who he has spoken to, I think, a couple of times this offseason now. And it it is a absolute quote fest. So Giannis said that he'll be comfortable playing with other superstars. Now, everyone put your glasses on. We're gonna read between the lines here. But <laughs> quote, but right now I'm twenty five and I want to win because when I retire, that's what people will remember, he says. I obviously just grabbed that one quote, but that is in line with what Yannis has been saying. He said a lot of the time that he he, he you know, he doesn't have an allegiance to wanting to go to LA because he grew up in LA or he grew up in America and he wants the big flashy lights, but he wants to win and he was willing, or he still is winning. I, I don't want to say anything, but he wants to win in Milwaukee because that's the team that drafted him. That's the team he grew up with essentially and that's the team that has a good shot to win a championship. Um, but reading between the lines, He's gone from saying, I love Milwaukee. I've just signed here for four years, $100 million. Uh, Milwaukee's awesome. Have you guys drunk a Slurpee or whatever it was?
1: (laughs) Yeah, smoothies.
0: Smoothie. Uh, he's gone from that to saying, "Yep, I want to win a championship. That's what matters." And there was a lot of quotes in this interview where he was just like, "Yeah, look, I want to be the best. My goal. I'm the MVP, but I have to win a championship." And he never says, "I want to win a championship with Milwaukee." He, you don't have that usual fluff. You know, I like to call it the Steph Curry because he's a guy who's going to be on the one team for the rest of his life. Where he's always, he always comes out and he says, Yeah, I can't wait to start playing in front of this crowd if we don't have a crowd, or just to get back to you know, <laughs> the chase center. Um, what was the Oracle? But you always have these good vibes, um, and we are not getting that from Giannis, and it is very spicy.
1: Yeah, it is, it is very spicy, and the combustible nature of this setup with Giannis still not having signed the. Supermax that the Bucks will undoubtedly have offered him and Drew Holiday being, you know, on an expiring deal. And- oh,
0: also, can I just rephrase the Drew Holiday trade? I saw this today written by someone I can't remember, but they said that the Bucks gave up half a decade worth of draft control for Drew Holiday. And I'm like, holy shit, you're right.
1: <laughs> Did that, yeah, that, that, that hadn't sunk in for you? It's, well, yeah. five,
0: five is different. It's like... Yeah, it's the lexicology. But five and half a decade is like, shit. Whoa.
1: <laughs> yeah. And he's, for for potentially one season of Drew Holiday, because he's got a player option from next season. And if Drew Holiday opts out and Giannis leaves those picks, which, you know, John Horst and, and Milwaukee were like, yeah, we'll give you those picks. Like, we'll give you pick 28 and 29 and hopefully pick 30. You know, like, wh- where does a team with... You know, Giannis and Middleton both leaving in free agency. So where does like DiVincenzo and Brook Lopez and Middleton finish? Well, apparently DiVincenzo can get you guys like um, Bogdan Bogdanovich but you know, well, only only if the Kings are involved. I think everybody else kind of like eyes wide open on DiVincenzo
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Prove yeah. me wrong, big raghu. He's good. He's good, but he's not. He's, you know, he's not
0: good. You he's going bogey. All right, uh, Evie, you want to talk about Giannis?
1: Yeah, I. I think that the there's a lot of things in here. The, the quote that you didn't mention is that he says, um, "Oh no, sorry, I, I've, I've misread. Yeah, let me let me correct myself." Um, I think the yeah, what do I they they at make, the start of the
0: podcast? We're not professional podcasters, but we podcast professionally.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I you know, i consider myself a professional podcast. I've got the podcast listed on my resume, so you know. Oh, yeah. for too. any. Pres- any prospective employers out there who've made it to like minute 50 of the podcast and uh, are listening. I apologize for that, that broadcasting blunder, but (laughs) you um, you're right, Sean, when you say like, you you know, the Seth Curry fluff, like he'd say, I really can't wait to get out there. Like there's no, it's all stripped back. It's all like the, the kind of the goodwill and the, the wild eyed, like, you know, youthful, like can't believe that smoothies are a thing. It's all gone. And right now it's, it's precarious.
0: Yeah. Someone get
1: this guy a smoothie. (laughs) Literally someone get this guy like a, you know, like a a Russian mango from boost or something. Um, (laughs) It's, it's kind of balanced on a knife edge because he's, he's kind of said, like make the moves and they fucked up in an, ungodly way like the the um the drew holiday trade only made sense when you knew that they were getting a steal for bogdanovich who was going to sign there long term that's the only way it made sense that trade was already agreed upon when they fucked up the bogdanovich trade so now they're kind of like left holding the bag and it doesn't just impact their their draft for the next five years, but it impacts their ability to trade players for the next five years because there's no we talked about this last week. They can't do what the Clippers did last season and say like halfway through the season, like let's trade for Marcus Morris. The prices are, you know, like a late first. So we'll yeah. give the Knicks a late first and bring in a guy who's gonna help us. There's none of that. This is a team. And, you know, like your best player and Drew Holiday is probably better than Chris Middleton. So your best and your second best players can be gone after one season if it doesn't go well. And you know, no one would probably begrudge Giannis if um mm. if he leaves and and after three years with Bud and you know assuming that they're as dominant in the regular season this year as they have been the last two years, if 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 things don't happen in the playoffs and Giannis is still kind of putting up you know like twenty eight and thirteen with a couple of blocks and playing some good D in the playoffs, but you know teams are raining threes down upon them and you know, they're, they're losing. Um, I, I think he's, I think this is the exact sort of thing where a a superstar in his prime shouldn't commit five years to a team that has not squandered and he's not blameless in their postseason struggles, but, um, you know, kind of like box itself into a corner stylistically. I mean, schematically, obviously we don't need to like relitigate coach buds, um, you know, conservative drop coverage with everybody, but <laughs> no, you know, you want Paul George up there in the orange trucks and wants to talk about not making adjustments. Like maybe, maybe he's talking about coach, Bud.
0: yeah. Yeah. It's it. Look again, interesting. We'll have to wait and see. Um, if he does request a trade, the Warriors have the best package. If he wants to sign with the team, there are multiple teams ready oh to goodness. Do
1: they have the best package yes. or is this yeah. just Warriors fan Sean Carroll talking?
0: They have the Cat space take him on. If you're going to trade with um, with the Heat, you're going to have to give up like five for one or one of their max guys. Same with Dallas, and same. Well, the Knicks look. If you really want to go to the Knicks, you can go there without them giving up anything. What
1: but. about uh, what about John Wall for Giannis? Who says no?
0: John Wall says no. <laughs> <laughs> um, now that's a that's a good question. Uh, I'll think about it off air and, and get back to you, but. Speaking it's of... A good,
1: it's a good deal. Like it's, it's, it's definitely <laughs> a good deal that Minnesota pick Wiggins and you know, like Wiseman. Yeah, well, it's, that,
0: it's good. that pick Wiggins, Minnesota's pick and Wiseman was floated in uh, as the Warriors reached out to Houston about a hardened trade according to Shams Terrania. Of the athletic, and this interest came mostly before the Clay Thompson injury. But then there was also a tiny little bit of fluff, where there's a little buzz where people are like, oh, maybe they can trade for James Harden to pretty much take over from K- from Clay's spot. Um, but never really eventually added to anything. I just actually wanted to bring this up because I wanted to mention that package in in a Giannis conversation. So we've already mentioned that. So should tick, we tick. <laughs> Should we move on to yeah? Final piece of news and the biggest piece of news, which is that Hassan Whiteside has agreed to a one-year deal with the Sacramento Kings coming from Adrian Wojnarowski. And look, so Hassan Whiteside brings in a stable, uh, level-head veteran who can come into this young Sacramento team and really teach these guys really good, really good lessons of being just a professional basketball player. Well, he's been all over the world. He's been to Israel and whatnot, and he's played elsewhere, and he really had to grind for his spot. Um, and especially when they they really want something out of the young bigs and Rashawn Holmes and Marvin Bagley, so he's going to be that steady head who can come in and just teach these guys how to be professional big men, um, and and hunt for blocks, which is probably the the most valuable thing you can do in the NBA today in terms of fantasy.
1: He's the spiritual successor to DeMarcus Cousins as like the king's big man who shouldn't be let allowed, who shouldn't be allowed near the other players. Yeah, uh,
0: all right. Well, that that's all the news, um, but I would just like to go off that Hassan Whiteside thing to say that I have drunk from the fountain of McNair and I have figured out the plans of the Kings. Uh, Dante, I know you're excited to see my plans, but I I wasn't too happy with the Kings' off-season move. What they signed, uh, Glenn Robinson III, Hassan Whiteside, and they drafted Tyrese Halbert. Tyrese, who has a... He has a non-0% chance of being the best player in the whole entire draft. Um, This isn't the the main thing I'm talking about. I think it was really lucky for the Kings that Halliburton fell to them, but that's just one part of the McNair puzzle, which I think I have cracked. But you look at this team and you, you saw one of the decisions that McNair made was to let Bogey walk. And they took all three days to decide whether they were going to match Atlanta on his restricted free agency offer. And they ultimately said no. And you you look at this team and you go, well, man, you just let an asset walk for nothing. Like, yes, you would have been. uh, I don't know if they would have been in the tax after that, but they would have been having, they would have been pretty financially strung in terms of having Bogey. And then you've obviously just extended Darren Fox on on his max rookie extension. And then you've obviously got Buddy Heald on way too much money. And I, I really like what they're doing because, yes, you've given up Bogey. But if you look at the Western Conference, every single team in the Western Conference is going to be trying to win games. Like every single team is going to be trying to win games. And obviously, if you're in the West, you're going to be be playing more West teams more often. Um, And mostly across the East, teams have gotten better. So out of all the playoff teams, they're all going to be there again. Charlotte got a bit better. Washington got a bit better. Chicago actually hired a coach for the first time in two years. New York and New York, Detroit, are bad Atlanta got much better and Cleveland, to Cleveland. So Sacramento are probably going to be one of the five, five worst teams again, but that's not the worst thing in the world because this is a year where you want to be one of the five worst teams in the league. And I'm sure Monty McNair saw the sheer value of coming in being a bad team you're not bad because Darren Fox and Marvin Bagley aren't good you're not bad because your young players aren't that great together and you're you're essentially going to be tanking but stealth taking because you're going to be trying to win games you're going to come in this could be the year that they get lucky and get that number one overall pick, especially let's say they are the fifth worst team in the league or because they're playing more Western Conference teams, they're the third worst team in the league. If Monty McNair gets lucky, gets that number one pick, gets Cade Cunningham, who's considered to be like the next great thing, um, this, this could be a very quick turnaround for the Kings, because if you draft the next, I don't want to say next LeBron, but next Zion, a guy of that level where it's like, well, he could be the, the next best thing ever. If you draft that guy and he's coming into a team with a, an established point guard in Darren Fox with not much else around him, admittedly, but he's coming and Monty McNair. will have this team at his disposal with possibly the next best MVP on his roster, a solid point guard, and by not retaining Bogey, they now have the cap flexibility to say, "Oh well, look, we we will just wait out Buddy Hill's we'll wait out Buddy Hill's deal. Maybe someone wants to nab him after we've just improved his value, like maybe a a Philadelphia there." And then all of a sudden, the Kings on the up, on the up, they've got Tyrese Halliburton, they've got Buddy Hill, sorry, they've got Darren Fox and the guy they just drafted. And they've just stank, stealth tanks themselves. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it at stank. They've stank themselves into one of the best players in
1: the world. There are a phrase in there, you lost me when you said, if Monty McNair gets lucky, <laughs> that is not a team building philosophy.
0: You have to be slightly lucky.
1: You do, but you don't have to plan to be lucky. And... Buddy Heald is apparently 30 years old and there's a world in which Bagley is not good. And that world is, um, you know, that, <clears throat> this is, this is kind of like put up or shut up here for Bagley. It's like a, be healthy and be, be good when you're on the court. Um, Halliburton does have a non-zero percent chance of being like the best guard in of the best player in the draft, but the you know the book from everyone that you, know, you and I listen to about Halliburton is that he's Mister Fundamentals and fundamentally sound, not like uh, Him you, you know like <laughs> no, well not not he doesn't have star, he doesn't have star power or star No, attention. I'm saying like, that
0: the last guy who was called Mister Fundamental was once oh he in- was
1: the he was the big fundamental. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all I'm saying is Halliburton. Oh, sure. You know, if Halliburton is just like a really high level role player, flexible guard, and Darren Fox, you know, he he looked really good at the end of last season in the bubble, and you know, generally still pretty high on Darren Fox. But Darren Fox just signed like a max contract extension, so that's he's coming into his fourth year. Um, which means by the time that this number one pick, you know, extraordinaire lands, he's going to be in his fifth year. And then by the time that this guy's, you know, good enough, you know, let's, let's say that as, as a rookie, he in the best possible world, you draft the rookie of the year. He's probably not going to be like an all-star level talent until his second year. So all of a sudden the Kings who are supposed to be like competing for the playoffs with their roster now, are three seasons away from competing. And, when was the last time that a Kings GM got A, got three seasons and B, the ones that did get three seasons did anything with it? Because the whole reason why we're in this mess is because the last Kings GM had three seasons and you know took them from one bad situation to the next bad situation. So colour me sceptical that Monty McNair is going to get lucky because that hasn't really been something that the Kings GMs have had of of late, you know, mix in a, a healthy dose of incompetence. And that's how you end up where you are. <laughs> the Yeah. I mean.
0: Dante, colour yeah. you sceptical. You can colour me purple. I am, I have drunk from the fountain of McNair. And I, just as you and Someone... I, just as you and I jumped on the Kings last year, I'm jumping on yeah. five years from now.
1: I'm I'm just like, I um, I wouldn't touch the Kings with a ten foot pole in either direction at the moment after my experience last season. Cause we really hardcore spruiked them. We were like, Yes, this is the team. <laughs> this is gonna be your your Western Conference eight seed. And then Sean Kang's gonna Kang's. So yeah. you know like until the Kings prove that they will not Kings, I refuse to get on board.
0: See, my getting on board this year is that the Kings are going to be 15th in the West. That's more palatable than eighth. Yes. More believable.
1: Yeah. But Luke Walton's going to be coaching for his job. Who cares? So he's not going to want to like, be 15th in the in the West ownership's not on the same page. I feel like as, as Monty McNair in this situation where he's like, Hey, all right, all right. Novel idea. Let's be bad. And then they're like, "But we've been bad since 2003. We want to be good. And then what do you, what do you do then? What as the King, what do you do then?
0: Cade Cunningham. I, I just, I, I like what the Kings are doing in not everyone else around them has gotten better. And they're, they they're the only team that has literally gotten worse, probably. I mean apart but from But we like,
1: couldn't praise them for being good last season, so now you're praising <laughs> them for being bad. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well that's an exceedingly low bar, so <laughs>
0: we'll we'll see. Um all right, well on that low bar should we end the podcast and Dante, should you send us send us off?
1: Well, there's no better way to, to end the podcast than with a healthy dose of King's Talk. So uh, on behalf of Sean and myself, thanks for listening. And we'll see you for episode 86 of the Deep NBA podcast. This is 86, isn't it? I meant 87. I was looking at 86 on the screen. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you for episode 87 of the Deep NBA podcast. <laughs>